Well, hey everyone, welcome to episode 188 of F-Stop, Collaborate and Listen. This week on the podcast, I hosted the Photo Cascadia team, including Sean Bagshaw, Adrian Klein, Zach Schneff, Aaron Babnick, David Cobb, and Kevin McNeil. This powerhouse team of landscape photographers have inspired so many of us on our journeys in this craft, so it was a real honor to host the whole team for a chat. Unfortunately, Chip Phillips was not able to join us for this recording due to the joys of parenting during COVID-19. The Photo Cascadia team and I discussed some really fun topics this week, including their new book celebrating the beauty and diversity of the state of Oregon through photographs, Oregon My Oregon. We also talked about the power and significance of the foreword of the book by Nicholas Kristof, the impact of, imp- of climate change on the landscapes that we all love to photograph, the impact that increased visitation is having on locations that we love to photograph, and some positives of this, the therapeutic effects of landscape photography during a global pandemic, how to instill respect for nature and the environment, and much more. Over on Patreon this week, join over 140 of your peers in supporting the podcast financially and hear about the Photo Cascadia team's approach to leading workshops safely during a pandemic. Okay. Let's get to the show. All right. Photo Cascadia team. It's so cool to have you all here on the podcast at the exact same time. It's like the planets have aligned and there's only great things that are com- going to come of this conversation. So so thank you all so much for joining me. We'll do a quick round of introductions, starting with Adrian. All right. Thanks, Matt, for having us. This is a real exciting uh, and you're right. It is a big feat to get us all together, even on a call like this. <laughs> Um, so yeah, uh, my name is Adrian Klein and, um, born and raised here in the, the Northwest and been photographing for about 15 years now. Um, I've done a lot of different types of photography, um, started off doing portraits, weddings, all this other different stuff. And, um, but I've always had a love for nature and being outdoors and landscape photography. And, you know, that's where I really switched my focus around 2009, 2010. And part of that change was actually hatching the idea for this Photo Cascadia group that, um, you know, is why we're here today having this conversation, which is real exciting. So I'll keep it short and brief and we'll move on. All right. Cool. Well, uh, David, you're up. Hello, my name is David Cobb, and I've been on here a couple of times. So if you want to know more about me, please look up the earlier podcast that I did with Matt, um, I think last year. So I will, I'm looking forward to this, Matt. Nice to be here. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for coming back. I, I guess I didn't scare you away. So thanks for... <laughs> <laughs> Not yet. <laughs> Maybe you'll, Not get, yet. Clo- yeah. you'll get close well, today. Yeah. And... Uh, I, and next up we have Zach and I just have to say Zach since I've never talked to you before tonight um you are a huge inspiration to me early on in my pho- photography career so I just wanted to say that before you introduce yourself wow yeah thank you so much and we've tried to uh <laughs> to do this several times and uh yeah the stars just didn't align those times but uh yeah I've been a professional photographer since 2004 I started with a studio in Portland and found out very early that production photography and shooting in a studio was not for me. Uh, I grew up in the outdoors, and that's that's what I that's where I feel at peace and my head is clear. So that's definitely where I prefer to photograph. Also, um, and then you know I was already pretty proficient at Photoshop early on, 
So it was definitely one of my advantages early was that I understood it because I was already a graphic designer. And yeah, in the beginning when digital photography was all so new, uh, it did help me like have a leg up and really help me exercise my creativity early when digital was so new. So anyway, yeah, that's basically how I got started. Yeah. Um, what about for you, Kevin? Um, well, thanks again for having us. Um, I'm from different because I'm from Canada, um, but I met my wife on a cruise ship and uh, she lived here and the rest is history. Uh, I started like these guys 15 years ago and I fell in love with it right away and I haven't looked back since and it's just excited to be with these guys and we love getting out and shooting and anything like this is always an event. Yeah, Kevin, and you've been a big inspiration to me as well. So love your work and love to see all the new stuff you're always posting. So keep up keep up the great work there. <laughs> Thanks. Appreciate it. Yeah. Uh, Sean. Hi. Yeah, I'm Sean Bagshaw. I'm uh, in Ashland, Oregon. Um, one of the things about Photo Cascadia, obviously, I'm sure we'll talk about a bit, is that we're all from what we call the Cascadia region, basically kind of the the more or less northwest part of the uh, of, of North America here. And um, yeah, so I'm in a Southern Oregon, Ashland, Oregon. I've been doing uh, photography full time about that same amount of time. I think a lot of us got into it in the early 2000s and, um, you know, kind of professionally and then around, uh, well, we'll talk about the history too, but we were all in it probably five or six years before we, before Adrian brought us together as a group. Um, like a lot of the other people, I dabbled in a lot of other kinds of photography and realized that landscape and nature photography is really where my interests lie as well. And, um, yeah, I do a lot of photography, but also a lot of photography education, both leading workshops and, um, doing a lot of Photoshop, uh, tutorials, video tutorials. Yeah, I was going to say, I think a lot of landscape photographers recognize your voice because it helps put them to sleep at night. So, <laughs> Or any time of day that you happen to No, man, you're like, a, <laughs> you're, like the, you're like the jazz DJ, you're like making it, making it nice and smooth in Photoshop, learning those luminosity masks. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> and uh, certainly uh, last but certainly not least is Aaron. Yeah. Hi, I'm Erin Bobnick. Uh, like David, I have been on this particular podcast a couple of times previously, so I will keep it brief, but I am um, landscape photographer specializing mostly in wilderness locations. I'm currently living in California, but I have uh, had offices on two continents for, oh gosh, long time now, <laughs> 15 years, something like that. So um, I go back and forth a lot, travel a lot. I also do a lot of photo education and public speaking. Awesome. Well, thanks for coming back. And uh, fun fact, uh, your episode with Alex Nail is the highest number of downloaded uh, of any podcast on this show. So you have that going for you. Wow. <laughs> well, that's two podcasts in a row. Someone told me something like that. But that's Interesting factoid. Thanks. <laughs> You're welcome. Hey, Matt. Yeah. And I, I, I don't, I don't want to leave out our seventh member who wasn't able to be here tonight. Uh, that's Chip Phillips. And Chip's yes. from Spokane, Washington. And he has young children who are in the midst of 
being, you know, homeschooled with Zoom during the pandemic, but also trying to, I think, maybe transition back into live school. Anyway, he had his hands full tonight. But Chip's uh, our seventh member, and uh, a lot of people will be very familiar with Chip's awesome photography. Yeah, uh, similar to Zach, I think Chip was a huge early inspiration to me, and tons of tons of people that I that I talk to all the time. So wish it could be here, but totally understand why he can't. COVID is a wild ride right now, especially for parents. Whew. All right. Well, one of the main reasons why we're why we're all here tonight is to talk about your guys' new book, which is called Oregon, My Oregon. And I was really excited to get a copy of it and because I, whether or not you know this or not, I lived in Portland, Oregon for, for almost two years. And man, I do miss living in Oregon. It's a beautiful state. And it's just probably, I would say, correct me if I'm wrong, but I would say it's probably uh, geographically and landscape speaking, probably the most diverse uh, state in uh, the United States in terms of being able to photograph the coast and mountains and deserts and forests and rainforests. So I personally feel like uh, it's an awesome subject for a book because there's just so much you can do. So first, I would love to know uh, what what spawned your guys's idea of the book and we'll just kick it off with Zach. Yeah, actually that's a great question. We actually talked about doing a book like this at our very first meeting when we formed photo cascadia uh, out at David Cobb's house out in the gorge at the time though, it was, you know, to self publish was basically, it was either self publish or find a publisher and distributor. Both of those were daunting tasks uh, at the time. But it was like a dream project that, you know, we had in mind and definitely something we wanted to do. And it really was, um, you know, when we got to work with Timber Press, um, this really was, it was a, a dream come true. So yeah, pretty amazing. Yeah. How, so knowing that it was something that you guys were planning from a very early stage of your organization, I was curious to learn, uh, have you guys been purposely photographing different scenes for the purpose of the book? And Sean, go ahead. Well, um, <laughs> Zach's right. It was a dream of ours. That probably a dream for any photographers to be able to put together kind of an, an art book, uh, you know, a photo book, a coffee table book like this. Um, but the reason why it was actually Timber Press's idea and they pitched it to us and the reason why they came to us is they, they first came up with the idea of uh, they felt like it was time for another, a, a new book on Oregon, a new fo uh, photo book on Oregon. And they went searching and they assumed that they were going to have to kind of pull photos from a whole bunch of different or, uh, photographers to cover the state. And they came across the Photo Cascadia website and realized that collectively all seven of us pretty much had it covered. So it was just a really good match. They had this idea and we already had, I want to say probably 90% of the images that, that they were hoping to be able to put into this book. And so we did go out and fill in and, uh, you know, kind of fill in some gaps in places in the state where we felt like we didn't have as good of coverage, but a bulk of the imagery in the book was our body of work that as a team, we had already done over the past decade or more. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, obviously, when you collect your your resources uh, as a team, you can 
come up with so much more photography than just a single individual could ever possibly dream of doing. Absolutely. Uh, anyone else want to talk about the the process of the book and kind of maybe like what was the your the funnest part of about being a part of the project? Um, personally, for me, it was just it was fun to connect with some of these guys in the sense that often we are busy and we can't collaborate on things, but this really gave us sort of a, a goal and some ideas so that we could get out together and we kind of did a tentative plan about who could do what and let's do this together and stuff. So it gave us a good chance just to, you know, get together and, and think of stuff. So, yeah, that makes sense. Uh, David. Yeah. It was also um, nice because I had a few holes in Oregon that I wanted to fill with, with my photos, uh, areas that I hadn't photographed yet. So it, it was a great excuse to go out and shoot some of those places that I had always been putting off saying, I'll get to it one day. So now's the time to get to it. So it was kind of fun doing that too. Yeah, totally. Uh, Zach? Yeah, I'm uh, one of the best and most enjoyable parts for me of the whole project was when we were submitting images in the beginning and just to see that body of work, because, you know, you kind of forget what everybody, the whole team had contributed over, you know, a decade or more photographing the state. And so, man, it was incredible. I, you know, I had forgotten so many incredible images and by, by all of us, even, you know, you get reminded even of your own work sometimes you're like, oh, wow, forgot I even went there and did that. <laughs> so, but to see the whole group, I mean, it was super impressive. And as a, as the book too shows, um, pretty amazing. Yeah. Uh, Aaron. Yeah. One of the fun parts for me, I think probably for everybody was sharing the excitement together. I'll never forget when Sean first got the news that Timber Press had reached out to the group. Um, I think, I guess they contact, did they contact you, Sean, directly? Well, they used the, uh, the contact form on the Photo Cascadia website, but that form goes to my inbox. So I was the one that fielded it. But you weren't telling us at first. So all he said was that he had some huge news and it was right before we were going to have our big annual summit. Uh, and that year it was in the Redwoods area. And um, we were at a pub, we were having dinner and, he, and we were like, okay, okay, tell us, tell us. And it was just, it was such a cool moment because we had no idea. We thought maybe he was going to say like he decided to move to New Zealand or something. We had, <laughs> we were all trying to imagine what is this huge news? And um, so that was just, it was really exciting. And then going through the whole process of finding out that Nicholas Kristoff had written the foreword, um, just all of these moments where everyone, when we were sort of celebrating that on Slack together, because we weren't in, together in person, but just a lot of great energy and, and um, good times shared through all of that. That's amazing. It sounds like the publisher had already put a lot of work into what they had in mind and what they were going to include in the book, which... I think for a lot of photographers who are thinking about doing a book, that's one of the things they're always worried about is how do I even do this? So it's cool to be able to work with a publisher who already has got a lot of that figured out. I'm curious about what kind of collaboration did you have to do with the publisher, but I wanted to give Adrian a chance to to chime in too. Yeah, that no, that's a good segue, uh, Matt. So that, I mean, beyond it, what Aaron said, which I agree was real exciting at the beginning, but later on in the project, you know, it was real exciting just seeing what they put together, right? So we're all a bunch of photographers, but I don't consider myself a designer by any means. They obviously know what they're doing when it comes to publishing books. They've been doing it for years, and it shows just with the layout and how they've all put it together. Um, 
I, for me, that was just a really exciting part of the project. I mean, even early on, just the, some of the obstacles we had to try to even see the proofs. So, you know, I was here locally in town by one of the designers that happened to live nearby. And they're like, OK, I'll do I'll safe drop it at your front door and basically do a video with the team to show them, hey, thumb through some proofs. And it was real exciting to finally start to see things in print after basically over a year and a half of conversations. So that was that was really neat. Yeah, I bet that was awesome. Uh, go ahead, David. Oh, I didn't. I also wanted to add that, you know, Aaron touched on it with Nicholas Kristoff. And it, to me, it was exciting when, you know, the, the publishers said, well, who do you want to write the forward? And, you know, we came up with lists and, uh, you know, Nicholas Kristoff was on that list because he is an Oregonian. He's always, he just finished backpacking the Pacific Crest Trail. He's now backpacking the Pacific Northwest National Scenic Trail and he walks around Mount Hood every year. So for him to be on this project, someone that's won two Pulitzer Prizes too for his uh, his work in Darfur and also um, at Tiananmen Square, uh, just, you know, that meant a lot to me too. And, and uh, it was very exciting to have him as part of this project. Yeah, I, I got a chance to reread the uh, the forward last night just to kind of prepare for this conversation, and I will say it's one of the better um, forwards that I've ever read in a, in a photography book. Um, one of the things that I liked about it was that it wasn't all rosy. You know, it, it painted a very realistic and historical perspective of the state of Oregon and how that uh, weaves in with the the landscape and how how the photography within the book kind of plays upon that history and i i i was hoping we could talk a little bit about some of the meaning behind what's in the what's in that forward from from nicholas you know for example he talks about the progressive history of oregon but then he also talks about you know the dark history of the racial segregation in oregon and also the kind of the rural urban divide that exists in Oregon and the impact of use of meth and all kinds of stuff. So, um, Zach, go for it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, I'm not going to talk about all, all that, but, um, that's what we were thrilled when we all read the forward one. Uh, I think most of us were already huge fans of Nicholas Kristoff writing for the New York times. Um, and you know, all the books he's written too, but, that's what I like so much about it. It was it wasn't your normal sanitized history, you know, that you get in a lot of textbooks even or in school. It was the complicated history of the state, and and it is all every state. The United States has a very complicated history, so we couldn't have been more happy that. And it was so unexpected because you don't know what to expect from a forward for a photo book. So when we got when we read that, I mean, we were just so impressed. And we we're like, this is amazing. Oh, <laughs> totally. Know? I could, I could see how you'd be totally stoked. <laughs> Sean. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, we have a lot of beautiful pictures of the state and I, I really feel, and I think the pictures speak for themselves in a lot of ways. And for people that really connect with nature, uh, you know, they'll connect with the photos, but Nicholas's, um, his forward kind of shows how the landscape of Oregon has shaped I think the culture and the society and the people and obviously the history, all of that is kind of in the landscape. So his words really kind of bring out 
a lot of additional context to our images um, that, you know, some people may have a connection to that, but to other people that maybe don't know Oregon or haven't been born and raised in Oregon, wouldn't necessarily know that just from looking at our photos. But I think, you know, his words in our photos really create a strong sense of what this state is, is, is about. And I'm curious, knowing that, you know, early on in your guys' um, collaboration as Photo Cascadia, knowing you wanted to do some kind of book, have you ever had that um, reality uh, top of mind in terms of wanting your photography to try to represent the state of Oregon? Or was that more just something that occurred organically? I think it occurred fairly organically. I think probably all of us, you know, individually, and maybe even somewhat as a group, have probably felt some of the ways that, you know, we personally feel our photography represents the, the areas we shoot. And because we either, all of us either live in Oregon or live somewhat close to Oregon and know Oregon well, I think we had that kind of personal connection to it. But I don't think until we actually read Nick's forward that it really fully impacted us how much those words could bring out more meaning in our photos than than might otherwise be be obvious. Yeah, I've talked to a book publisher here on the podcast and he said one of the most important things that he realized early on in book publishing is it's really important to partner with someone who's a really strong author because they can help that that partnership between the photography and the writing can really make or break uh, a photography book, <laughs> which I think that forward really demonstrates that. Go ahead, Zach. Oh, I was just going to say uh, that David's Japanese Gardens uh, book is actually a great example of that too. I, I really like the author that was paired on that project also. But it's true, even just for a photography book, um, yeah, good writing is incredibly important. It's really what helps bring the images to life and to tell a story. Uh, to help. I mean, images can stand on their own, but it is nice, obviously, to have such a talented author. Yeah, absolutely. One of the things, as I went through the book and enjoyed the images, I was curious, you know, after the foreword, um, there's not like a lot of text in terms of, you know, talking about individual regions or, you know, stories behind photos. Was that something that you guys intentionally did or was it something that the publisher decided? Uh, that's something the publisher decided. So once the the images were picked, they basically said, uh, do a description, but only describe what is in the photo. And so they kind of narrowed it down for us and, and they helped guide us. And then they helped edit that and then maybe embellish or flower it up a little bit, uh, depending on how dry our writing was. So, <laughs> and I think uh, a few ideas were, I needed embellishing. Yeah. <laughs> and I think a few ideas were kind of bounced around early on, you know, from the publisher, they were really great to work with and, um, just awesome. And we, we love them. And yeah, they threw, they threw out ideas that like maybe it would be a kind of a story of photo Cascadia, Maybe at first there was even ideas, maybe it'd be a book on Oregon and Washington uh, or maybe the Cascadia region. Um, you know, maybe there would be other kinds of stories in there. But I think in the end, they felt like they really wanted it to be more of, of an art book, a picture book, something where the images, once you get you know past 
Nick's forward and into the images, it really becomes about uh, just about the images. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, that that makes sense. I don't necessarily think there's a right or a wrong way to do it. Uh, personally, I just like to under- understand, you know, what the intent is behind it. And that totally makes sense. And we, we were just happy to go with whatever they thought was the, you know, the best idea because they're the professionals at, when it comes to publishing books. So, totally. Uh, Kevin? Each uh, image has a, a, a story to tell and, and eat for each person that is different. And I think without all the words and extra words, when you see that image, it's something different for you. And that's what I like about the simplicity of just having the images and not a lot of text. Mm-hmm. The other thing I was curious about, how did you guys uh, come to decide which images would make it into the book and kind of which uh, photographer would represent different scenes, I guess? Or was that the publisher completely choosing that? Go ahead, Zach. Um, well, I mean, they they had kind of a, a list. I mean, there was basically the uh, an initial submission from all of us to, and they just gave us, gave us some guidance, like try to cover as many areas as you can, uh, a lot of diversity, of course, try not to, you know, cover the same area, like the gorge, you know, which <laughs> so much, we have all have so many photos of the gorge, but to, yeah, just have a lot of diversity. And also if you had areas that really weren't covered by many others in the group to try to put those in. And basically it was, we just all made our submissions and a lot of it was up to the publisher mm-hmm. from that point. Adrian? Yeah. And to add to that, I am glad that we were not the ones that had to pick the photos. I could only imagine that process, what that would have looked like. Um, I think we ended up giving them somewhere between maybe six to 800 photos. I want to say it was, it was a lot of photos and we, you know, there was a final 200 or so in the book. So um, yeah, I don't envy that process. I'm glad it was the publisher that we basically said, here's all the photos, you know, let us know what you pick. Yeah, I feel like that's something most photographers would struggle with. It's like, which of your children do you want to sacrifice? <laughs> exactly. I was just going to say, it was hard enough for us to get down from the, you know, the thousands of collected Oregon images that we have as a group down to that six to 800 that we gave them that was painful enough so yeah i agree with adrian going that last distance to get the final 250 or however many it is we're really glad that wasn't on us yeah erin i was just going to draw a comparison with our previous book the one that we put out the year before called photographing through the seasons because in that case we we did make the decisions about the photos and that was a monumental task it came down to sean and i playing editor and um it took us hours you know we everybody had to submit and it was it was really really a lot of work to and that's a much smaller book although it does cover uh many more states yeah uh zach well aaron mainly just covered it but um yeah on the on the ebook um photographing through the seasons that that was a really tough process and again i was so happy not to have had that job as editor that Sean and Aaron did. <laughs> I did not envy them uh, that task. So, yeah, it was it was so much nicer to have a third party <laughs> be able to come in and, you know, neutral ground, just choose. And uh, that was right. You don't want to hurt someone's feelings. <laughs> yeah. And, and honestly, with the I mean, with our um, process for our own book, it was there was no like contention, but still it was just stressful, especially for Sean. And oh, Aaron. Um, I can't I can't even imagine. I mean, it's uh no, thank you. 
<laughs> well, maybe that's an interesting segue to talk about, you know, the different impacts that we're seeing on, especially in the state of Oregon and California and Washington. You know, we've seen a ton of forest fires uh, this year and, you know, over the last probably four or five years, we've just seen more and more forest fires. And, you know, I think the science is pretty clear that, you know, in climate change does have an impact. We don't know exactly what the percentage of impact is, but we know it does play a factor in all of that. And I was curious, um, you know, a lot of the places that are in your book, I think were probably significantly impacted by fires this year, which I guess I would assume is somewhat devastating in some ways, but uh, I would love to hear about each of your thoughts on that particular subject, starting with Zach. Yeah, I just wanted to say first, you know, um, it's weird to be in this position, but you know, I, I kind of feel like passing through my junior ranks into being almost like an elder statesman of the uh, landscape photography world. But it's, you know, just that experience growing up here in Oregon um, and watching, you know, natural erosion just at the beach, watching like Ecola State Park basically just melt into the sea over time. Um, in addition to like how much worse certain things that, and, and to be honest, from, from that point of view, when I look around, I don't see any place that's better, uh, because of, uh, humans being there. They've only all been diminished, um, from my experience. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, and that's a harsh reality of being a landscape photographer is trying to minimize your own impact, um, and also, you know, we have followings on social media and just, uh, in general and, you know, having that message, having that, uh, conservation message be a part of our photography, uh, is really important because I think we've all seen that, uh, seen all these places we love going. Um, and like I said, from my perspective, basically all have been diminished, uh, since I started photography. Yeah. And it's, um, it's a catch 22 or a paradox because as photographers, we depend on these places for our livelihoods. Um, at least some of us do. And also our livelihoods can don't always, but can have a negative impact on the, these places. So it's a, it's definitely a ethical conundrum that I think a lot of us find ourselves in. Uh, go ahead, Sean. From my perspective. And I think from the group's perspective, uh, you know, climate change is one of those things that, the, you know, the science is in, the science is clear that, uh, you know, it's a factor and it's, it's causing issues. And when it comes to things like forest fires, you can certainly talk about forest management being a component. You could certainly talk about expanding population and kind of the, uh, the urban boundary and where a lot of uh, that boundary is expanding out into more and more kind of wild areas. And those also have have uh, factors in the, the the situation, but certainly the the number of fires and other kinds of uh, kind of climate based impacts that we're seeing on the landscape, I think is pretty undeniable. And just in the book, when we started the book, it was de you know definitely a love letter to Oregon, our love letter to Oregon. But we didn't realize that when we started the book that so many of the places that ended up being in the book. Now you can't go to those places and at least for a period of time, see them the way that we photograph them. And so some of those places, obviously, the Columbia River Gorge had a big fire just a couple of years ago. So many of the photos in the book from that region 
don't look like that anymore. And then just in this one fire season this year alone, um, you know, the, the Mount Jefferson area, the, um, Mackenzie river area, um, some of the stuff here in Southern Oregon where I live, um, Opal Creek, uh, yeah, Opal Creek, some areas along the coast, some areas on the east side of the Cascades, um, um, Clear Creek. And anyway, so a lot of the areas in the book were damage and effect. So we also love that this book now is kind of a document of, you know, the way things were before. And, you know, who knows what things in the book might, might uh, not look the same next year. And along those lines, Timber Press really generously offered to um, donate 1% of all proceeds from sales from the book um, to the Oregon Community uh, Foundation's Fire Recovery uh, Fund. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, it's um, it's kind of depressing. I mean, I remember, I mean, obviously, I think anyone who's photographed in the Pacific Northwest has fond memories of making photographs in the Columbia River Gorge. And there's literally scenes there that you can not ever photograph the same way again, like Medlaco Falls. And I mean, that whole platform is completely eroded into the, into the water. It's just, uh, it's heartbreaking. Yeah. And I, and also with the Columbia River Gorge, uh, Punchbowl Falls, the cliff fell into the side there. So, uh, you know, the state's changing quickly and geology changes, but right now it's changing extremely fast. Um, and man is helping that. I know there was a, a huge uh, rock hoodoo that Adrian photographed um, along the Oregon coast that was vandalized. So three teenagers or two uh, just kind of decided they wanted to tip it over one day and, and they worked and worked and broke it down. And so it's people are foolish. And as Zach said earlier, I don't know that people are helping these areas at all. They're, they're more diminished now. Um, so, but we keep photographing things change. We keep photographing. Uh, we're hoping for the best. We're hoping for regrowth. Um, we'll see what happens in time. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, Adrian. Yeah. I, I feel like I've noticed a shift in myself over the last year or so. When I go photograph places, it used to be always like, Hey, I'll, you know, enjoy the scene. I'll enjoy the moment, but I'm going to come back to this for this or that or what have you in the future. And now I leave places and I'm like, okay, is, am I going to be able to come back to this? It, and it's, a, it's an honest question to ask. You hike out into a forest somewhere and you maybe want to come back in a year or two. Are you going to come back to it or is it going to be a bunch of toothpicks next year? Um, so it's, you know, it is a kind of a sad reality, but I think at the same time, it also forces us to have that true appreciation of in the moment of like, Hey, we're out here in this beautiful place. Um, let's hope it's here for future generations, but you know, let's just enjoy the most of it right now. Yeah. Zach. Yeah. I just wanted to kind of segue off of what Adrian was talking about. And like, I find myself the last few years and especially this year with COVID, um, you know, I appreciate those wildernesses and those areas so much. Um, you know, it was a very anxious year for a lot of people, for most people. And for me, like my, the, the biggest therapy for me was just to get out and, and my, I would take my whole family we'd go for family hikes, uh, as often as possible, especially with homeschool too. And, you know, our, 
our idea of clearing our head and getting back to normal is to go out into a wild area and hike out and get into the peace of nature and feel that connection again. And um, I've always felt this way that my own mind, um, it's the only place where my mind is totally at rest and at peace. And I can actually think truly clearly. Um, and so that was incredibly important, like I said, this year in particular. And so even more and more, um, you know, I'm, I'm looking to get further out and to get into the, the more wilderness areas of, uh, of the landscape. Yeah, that resonates a lot for me too. I spent a lot of time this year uh, backpacking and hiking and traveling in the mountains. And I got to say, you know, the moments where I had solitude, uh, it was wonderful, but there were also for me, and I don't know if this happened to any of you as well, but there was a lot more people out than than in historically has been. And I've what it was interesting because of, you know these a lot a lot of these people that I saw that were out, and I totally understand. But you know these are people that have never or very rarely spent any times in the outdoors or wilderness, and you know they're not coming to those places with and an appreciation of like what other people get out of it in terms of solitude and peace and, and no noise. And I mean, literally, literally I was at a campsite uh, in the national forest with my friend Kane. And there was a group of people parked like a hundred yards away with a fully functional DJ set up with huge speakers and like a, they were doing techno music until like one in the morning like what yeah outdoor rave yeah it's like this is not normal you know um zach what were you gonna say yeah i was gonna agree with you um it was a weird year uh a lot of people found that they had a lot more time and they weren't working <laughs> and um and also you couldn't go to indoor places so that was kind of a lot of people's option and so i saw that right away uh just going out on my own and then, you know, I did actually lead a few small group workshops when, you know, we were trying to just figure out how that was going to work. Even uh, everyone's socially distant, wearing masks, anytime you're around each other, all that kind of stuff, being very responsible. But it was amazing to see places like Sparks Lake or Crater Lake uh, and all these places. And I had never seen them that crowded uh, in my entire life. Anytime, even in the you know heat of summer uh, tourist season. It was it was crazy, and when uh, I went and we camped at our favorite spot here in Oregon um, with my family, we we're talking to the camp host, and he was talking about this was definitely a, a very um, an anomaly of a year because he was seeing a, a different you know element in the campsites. And that, you know, these people with like big RVs and bringing their TV and there's no there's no like cell reception even where I was. But bringing like like all the comforts of home and just so it was a yeah it was a it was an experience we'd never seen it like that so it was yeah it was a weird year yeah uh, I think David was next yeah it, it was a weird year but I think with all those people out in the wilderness it also gives us an opportunity to teach and to tell people how to be in the wilderness um, how to take care of it uh, it also. Um, I'm, I'm just glad that people are enjoying the outdoors again and not sitting at home on their computer or at a TV and that they're out there experiencing nature. And hopefully the more people that experience nature and 
who don't lose touch with nature, the more in the long run we'll be able to save. So I'm, I'm happy to see people outdoors, even though it was extremely crowded in places and it almost drove me crazy. It was so crowded, but you know, the alternative is everyone forgets about the wilderness and we can't save it anymore. So, you know, let's take the opportunity to teach and to uh, set an example. Oh, I totally agree. It's, um, I found, I found myself really, really, really struggling to do that. Um, so maybe I need to channel some Japanese gardens and master David Cobb next time I experience this because I was <laughs> really struggling. Do you have any tips for other people? Like when you encounter this kind of stuff, like is there things that you found that, that have worked for you? Yeah. Well, I, I found, I, I learned early on things that don't work. And um, <laughs> one, I was, I, I was in Arizona and there was this, a fence around these petroglyphs. And, um, I said, you're not supposed to be on that side of the fence photographing those petroglyphs. There was a photographer there doing a late night landscape. And he goes, well, you're here because you saw this shot. And, and well, one, I wasn't there because I saw the shot. Um, but I just said, you know, I don't know what shot you're talking about. Um, I just know you're not supposed to be on the petroglyphs. So he got really hot and heavy. So I, I think the direct way that I often take is probably not the best way. But when I thought about it more, it was a teachable moment to, you know, say that that photo was probably taken years ago when Tucson was miles and miles away. And now that Tucson's encroaching on this park and these petroglyphs, we have to be more protective of it, of it because people are coming closer and closer to these things and it's getting a lot more traffic. So more than when that photo was taken uh, probably in the 1980s. So um, I think being more understanding and less direct and confrontational is probably the best way to go. Yeah, I can definitely speak from personal experience that confrontation does not work. <laughs> uh, it doesn't work at all. <laughs> uh, I think Kevin was next. One thing I really noticed is when I started 15 years ago, I first thing I did was join a photo club. And the average age in that was in their 60s or late 60s. And I was the young buck at the time that was involved in this. And now with the explosion of Instagram, everybody's in their 20s. And so they come to it with a whole different understanding and a whole different appreciation or not. I wouldn't lack of appreciation maybe for the nature where I, like Zach was mentioning earlier, we've been, we feel like we've been around. We're like the grandfathers now that we're the old school people who have an attachment to these places and we have a connection. And I don't think these, the younger generation has that connection. And they will look back and they might have a connection sometime, but I think it's really important that they, we try to understand and have, and compromise and try to understand where they're coming from and why it might be different than how it was for us. And that's just trying to play the devil's advocate, but I thought to put that out there. No, I think that's well said. I mean, one of my personal mantras that it's mostly for my own reminder, because I don't do it as well as I'd like to, is to first seek to understand when I see something that bothers me. It's like, why, why is that happening? I try to understand why. So, uh, Aaron, I think you were next. Basically just, I was going to invoke Aldo Leopold as a, one of the original American conservationists who wrote about the importance of people having experiences in the wilderness in order for them to develop relationships with it in order for them to 
appreciate and protect. So his idea of protection wasn't keep people out. It was get them in there. Um, And so I, on that side of things, I think it is, it is actually great that people are discovering the outdoors who maybe never would have otherwise. And that can, that, that can only lead to good things in the long run, but it will take education in addition to those experiences. So that's what we're all here for. And hopefully our message will get out along with the message of the fact that, hey, outdoors are cool. <laughs> but the other thing that I just wanted to just sort of as an aside is mention that um, I've had just the opposite experience. on the. I've only been out shooting a few times in the whole time since the pandemic began. But one of the very few outings that I had was I took a few days to go to the Dolomites. And um, it was like the Dolomites 10 years ago. So this was when... No Americans who don't have residency or citizenship in the EU could be in that area. So that ruled out a whole, not only Americans, many, many other um, people from other countries. So um, there wasn't a whole lot of access to the area, right? So a lot of people could just couldn't go there. Uh, it was also um, really kind of early in autumn. So although the fall color was just starting to come in, it wasn't really peaking. So it was, it was weird. It was it was the Dolomites that I remember from 10 years ago, not, you know, not Disney Dolomites like it has been recently with, with all the people before the pandemic. Yeah, no, I think that's that's a good perspective to have. And I, I love what you said about, you know, this is an opportunity to embrace the new visitors and and remember that it might just take some time for them to ha- grow an appreciation like we we all have that sometimes I think we might take for granted. Uh, Adrian, I think you were next. You know, one one of the things it's it's so easy to go out there and get frustrated and say all these people and you're like, I want my space and you know where all these people come from. And by by the way, the helpful tip to to cope with it is just text David in your frustrations. That's what I've done. <laughs> like, David, where did all these people come from? And so he does basically put this Zen master on and uh, calms me down. So it's been helpful. Um, No, but in all seriousness, I think it's just a good reminder for, I can say for myself and probably all of us that, you know, it it isn't space to share when you're out there hiking in the wilderness, um, whether it's, you know, close to the curb or way out there, um, you know, it's for all of us to enjoy, you know, I'll be out there photographing and, you know, whether it's somebody else that just wants to take a snap with their iPhone or they have a serious camera with them, you know, and they're like, oh, I'm sorry, I don't want to get in your way. I'd be like, no, you you, you can take photo here too. Like, like this is not, you know, this isn't just my space. This is for all of us. Um, and it is really a chance to, to educate, you know, everything from, you know, just how to be a good steward of the land of, you know, just the basics, like don't litter, right? You know, I just, this last weekend, I was at the coast, which was, by the way, still unseasonably busy right here we're getting into fall and normally it'd be quiet time and i couldn't believe you know how many people were down there and you know the pandemic of course you know people are still traveling locally um and i picked up a lot of trash you know from from where i was out photographing um which is unfortunate but if everybody you know tries to promote the being a you know steward of the land and you know pick up a little bit while you're out there uh it will go a long way yeah definitely uh david yeah, it's um, also in the photographing through the seasons ebook. Um, mostly Aaron, but uh, a number of other of the the team wrote a lot of nice conservation tips as photographers and how to behave in the wilderness and how to behave when you're out there as a photographer. So I just wanted to throw that in, just a, another 
teaching point that goes in on the ebook too. Oh, that's great to hear. Yeah, it's um, it's important. I think I'm I'm actually in the process of helping rewrite a a guidebook. It's not it's not a photo guidebook. It's more of like a hiking and climbing guide of a certain mountain range. And I'm definitely planning on trying to at least instill some some of that into the book so that people that maybe have never visited these places can at least think about it before they go there. Zach. Yeah. <clears throat> I just wanted to mention, um, cause I agree with, um, all of those sentiments and, and it has been a really good time for teaching. I always start with my own kids and just like Adrian said, you know, we go for a hike, uh, you know, if we see trash, we pick it up and we pack it out. I want to teach them to be good stewards of the land as well. Um, but just along with this whole, topic, you know, I think you have to find a balance. Um, and I remember reading about this debate a long time ago between, you know, John Muir and I can't remember who he was arguing with at the time. It was another prominent uh, conservation figure. And, you know, John Muir was the purist who was basically saying, you know, we need to, le- we need to protect uh, the wilderness and leave it exactly as, as it is. And it's, that's more true than it really ever has been there's so many, it's just shrinking and shrinking all the time. There's less and less true wilderness out there. And so, you know, I, I definitely agree with, you know, we need to preserve what's left because there really isn't that much, especially uh, in North America, unless you get up into Canada and Alaska. Um, yeah, it's shrinking all the time. But I also agree that, like David said, the more people that are out there enjoying nature, the more people are connected to the land and the more people, ha- you know, are invested and have an idea of what it is to be out there and what you're protecting. So you have to strike a balance, I think, of both uh, protect those wilderness areas and also, um, you know, encourage people to get out there responsibly. And if you see them being irresponsible, it's tough on how to to handle that sometimes. When you see, uh, as I saw this summer, people in Crater Lake just like throwing their trash on the ground. It's like, how do you take that and turn it into a teachable moment? It's tough. Um, and as much Zen master as I can try to channel, I I couldn't find a way to do that well. <laughs> so, but anyway, yeah, it, it's a it's a tough thing, and I think we should definitely strive for for balance. I think it was Gifford Pinchot that was arguing with John Muir there, Zach. Just to let you know. Yes, I think you're right. I think that's correct. Well, thank you, Zen Master David. Uh, <laughs> Adrian. He's also the uh, historian as well. <laughs> Adrian? Yeah, I think with, with all the increase of traffic out there and hiking trails and wilderness, you know, we're only going to continue to see um, what has been, I, it's kind of hard for me to digest, but I think it's also the right reality, which is some places are now harder to go just from a planning perspective. You have more areas that are permitted just to limit the number of people that go there, whether it's day hiking or wilderness backpacking. Um, you know, I can think of multiple places from when I started many years ago, even before photography, that I can't necessarily go now, you know, without getting a permit. Or even if I could get a permit then, you know, it was much easier. And now it's like it really is like winning the lottery when you can go. Um and, and it's hard because you like to be able to just to go as a photographer, like, hey, these are the great conditions and I want to go for this time of day or this time of year. Um, but in the end, it, it's the right move. And I'm, I'm glad we're seeing more places that are limiting. 
um, because then when you do finally get a permit to to go to those locations, it does feel more like it was many years ago because you have limited uh, people there. Yeah, I agree with that. And there's a couple of places here in Colorado that I definitely feel like could use a permitting system just because every time I've gone in the last two years, it's overcrowded. You can't even find a parking spot. I mean, it's just, and then you, when you do go, there's trash everywhere and it, yeah, it's, it's unfortunate, but yeah, I think you're right. I think that, you know, limiting of the supply sometimes can help um, people have a greater appreciation in some ways. What about, what are you going to say, Aaron? Well, rather than limiting access, which um, may be necessary in, in certain areas, I think what can be good about permits is it, it is an opportunity to teach people, although almost none of them work that way, unlike, say, a, a, a commercial use permit. Uh, you don't have all of this paperwork that you have to have read or essay an essay that you have to write or, you know, depending on the permit. Um, why not in, you know, incorporate that? I, I feel as though that's sort of a, uh, an obvious opportunity to to engage with people. Now, some places they do have these things where if you're going to go into an area, you have to sit down and hear the polar bear talk or whatever it is, you know, um, but that's the sort of thing that I'd like to see instituted where there is some education right up front before the people are even allowed in. Totally. My, my first experience with that was uh, when I rafted the Grand Canyon, they, they require you to have a basically like a 30 minute uh, lecture from a ranger about, you know, not only, you know, where to pee and how to poop and how to clean your dishes and also, but also like how to stay safe. And I personally, I mean, I've been going to the outdoors a long time and I still learned a bunch of stuff just in that 30 minute talk from the ranger. So I definitely agree that that would be a great opportunity to help, help kind of educate people on how to, how to visit it responsibly. Uh, David. Uh, yeah. I recently did a workshop with Cannon and um, White Sands, National Monument at the time, but now it's a national park. And uh, there, just to do a workshop, you had to have a 30-minute talk from the ranger. And everyone in the workshop, not only the instructors, but also everyone that was uh, taking the workshop had to be there with the ranger and um, get the lowdown on the environment there. And for Rainier National Park up in Washington, I had to get a conservation, I had to pass a conservation test and get a conservation certificate to even get my permit there. So they're starting to implement these things. And I, I am 100% behind that. So I'm glad they're doing it. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Well, not to, I mean, we could probably talk about that, that one for like 400 hours, but um, I, I think the flip side of this conversation is really important too, especially what Zach was saying earlier about, you know, the pandemic and, you know, how he wanted to try to get outside as much as possible during the pandemic. And I think there's a lot to be said uh, for the therapeutic effects of landscape photography, especially during the pandemic. And I'm wondering what kind of ideas you guys have around, you know, what you've personally experienced in terms of how landscape photography and how it's helped you through this pandemic, because I don't, think it ended on November 3rd or 4th as we were promised but uh, 
curious uh yeah curious what what do you guys see as how how engaging in landscape photography is going to help you through well i can say that for myself uh the kind of restrictions on some of the travel and other plans that I had, and then also kind of trying to stay as close to home as possible and also dealing with family and being around for that. A large part of my year I went without, I did much less photography than I would normally do and actually got out less than I normally would. And that was really taking a toll on my mental state. I could really feel it building up over several months. Uh, in the summer, I was able to get out with uh, my son and do a couple of short kind of one or two night backpack trips in the in the local mountains here. And those were great. Um, but finally, just this last month, um, David and Aaron and I were able to do some f- kind of remote photography in the, in the desert Southwest and the restorative power of that time, you know, and we were going to all places. We essentially didn't see other people where we were, uh, or if we did, it was very few other people. And that time that we spent for me just being outdoors and we all know how it is with, with landscape photography, you, you don't notice and appreciate and absorb the land and your experience the same way as you do when you're with the camera and when you're looking for photographs. And so that, that experience of not doing the photography for a period of time and looking at how I felt and what my mind state was, and then what a couple of weeks of being out doing it and how, how much better that made me feel. Um, yeah, I think that's just great testament to what you said, Matt, how, how therapeutic photography can be. Yeah. And, I think one of the silver linings of the pandemic is that I think there are some people that are going to potentially have a greater appreciation of some things that they might've taken for granted previously. I think Zach was next. Yeah. Um, yeah, I will admit this, this year, especially, uh, once COVID hit, it was super stressful, especially I have two young kids. I have a daughter who's 13 and a son who's eight and, being thrust into homeschool and then again, uh, you know, having a summer and then into homeschool again. Um, and just with everything going on with the level of anxiety that I think everyone is operating under these days. Um, yeah, I, I, I was finding myself really stressed out and super anxious a lot. And really the best therapy for me, uh, was just to be outside and especially being outside by myself photographing. Um, I really tried to do, a ton of hiking with my family too. And, and they needed it too. My kids, you know, being in homeschool all day and kind of battling with us as the teacher slash parents. Um, yeah. So for all of us to get out and, and clear our heads and not be in that environment, it was so restorative and we could come back and be, you know, normal human beings again. And yes, for myself, when I actually do get out, to photograph all by myself, it truly is a meditation and it is so restorative. Um, it's, it's incredible. And I'm I'm sure all of us can relate to that feeling. You know, you calm all the way down you just focus on the process and, you know, being creative and just appreciating nature. And I think I've never appreciated it more than this year. So yeah, it's been, it's been an incredible year for that to, you know, 
you always appreciate something more like what Sean was saying when you've been deprived of it for a while, or you're, you know, living under these conditions that are unusual and really stressful to, to have the outdoors there, to have the wilderness and that experience to photograph. Uh, it has been like life-saving. And I mean, I feel like, I felt like I was going to go crazy a few times until I would get out and, you know, take a deep breath and calm down. And, oh, I felt so much better. <laughs> yeah, man, totally. Uh, Aaron? Yeah, I was just going to add, um, I totally agree with what they have all just said about the, the just the, sort of the fundamental importance of being outside and being creative. Absolutely. I had that just shut off almost like, you know, someone just flipping a switch. When I got back from my last workshop, um, I basically went into a caregiver position. I was all, I was cut off from the internet. I mean, it was like, I was really in this dark, dark place. And what I found was not only that I really missed the, the actual photography, but the people, because before, you know, all the people involved before, my life was basically for for years now, it's been 300 days on the road of workshop, workshop, talk, talk, you know, speaking engagements, just constantly this whirlwind of exciting, interesting, engaging people everywhere I go. And then there was this void. So having at least uh, these um, seminars and uh, conferences and whatever that are virtual has also been very therapeutic in addition to the the times when I have been able to finally get out there with the camera. But I just wanted to kind of give a nod towards all the people who are organizing these events, which is, um, you know, very difficult to do to kind of figure that out. And I'm glad that we at least have that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Adrian. Yeah, I, I agree. Likewise, I echo everything else already said. And I think, you know, I, I live in, in Portland where, you know, it's, I am fortunate to have, um, you know, a lot of nature areas, but it is, you know, it's an, it's a big city. It's an urban area. And, you know, early on in the pandemic, I, I wrote a blog and did a video like the urban nature photographer. And, you know, it's just a good reminder for me, just, you know, how to be creative and just get outdoors even close by. Right. So there's a lot that we can do, you know, nearby and a lot of cities are that way. You know, I'm fortunate here with what I have nearby, but there's a lot of, of you know, cities are, you know, around the world and country that, that are like that. Um, so I just tried to remind myself that, that I don't necessarily need to drive many hours away or get on an airplane, which, you know, we all as photographers, there's these places we want to go far away. Um, but I just had to remind myself, Hey, you know, there's some, interesting art, you know, and, you know, photos I can try to create and just at least be out, um, you know, here locally. hundred uh, percent. Kevin. I take, I, back when COVID was hitting, I, uh, I broke my hip replacement. So I had a tough time, especially cause like now I couldn't go to nature and I realized how important not having that and, that and that's taken away from you and you have no option to go there it's something that's all you can think about and you just want to get back there and it just drives you. And I'm just this, just this week, I've got permission just to start doing one mile trails around, around where I live. And I, I miss these guys because, you know, they went, when they've gone away or when they post stuff on social media, it it just, you yearn just to be out there again. And that, you know, how important that connection is. And when you don't have it, and you were stuck in a house on top of COVID for eight months, you can go crazy. And 
<laughs> and these guys have been absolutely wonderful in terms of being there for me. I've, I've emailed them and I said, hey, we're like a family. And I've said, hey, guys, I'm having a tough time and this isn't easy. And, uh, you know, they all reach out, they'll phone me, they'll do whatever. And there's a keep doing and checking up on my progress. So I just wanted to put that out there that these guys are, you know, very supportive and they're like a family. Hang in there, buddy. You're going to be back out with us in no time. Thanks, man. Definitely. 100% what what Kevin just said. is I, I love that about this group, how we are all here for each other and the support is just immense. And so it, and even in my darkest period, I, I always, periods, I always have them to to go to. And uh, that's just one of, one of the proofs of how awesome photography is, is that it can bring something like us together. It's great. Yeah, it's awesome. I remember shortly after uh, the pandemic started, everything got locked down. We started doing a bunch of Zoom meetings with a bunch of my photography friends where we would just, we wouldn't even talk about photography. We'd talk about like, are you guys okay? How are things going? Like, do you need anything? It was a very supportive um, just experience. And it really, I don't know about for you guys, but it actually helped a lot of the relationships that I had with some people. So that it was actually a lot of cool things came out of COVID, I think. Uh, Adrian. Yeah, I think, you know, one, one of the things I, I agree with every everything that everyone said already, um, it, you know, this is a great group of people. And, you know, we get the question sometimes is, you know, how have we stayed together so long um, as a team, right? We've over 10 years now, we're really good friends. We still get along together, whether we're just, you know, talking about non-photography stuff, talking about photography, got a project we're working on, whatever it is, we actually really get along well as a group. Um, and when I think back to, you know, when Photo Cascadia was, you know, the idea was hatched, people say, well, you know, how did you decide about the original people that you reached out to for Photo Cascadia? And for me, it wasn't about, you know, whose name was the biggest in the limelight, who had the prettiest photos, who was, you know, any of that kind of stuff. It was, to me, it was like, okay, out of the people that I interact with online or in person that are, you know, in the Northwest and do nature photography, who are people that I want to be around with, you know, that I want to hang with, that I want to enjoy my time with, that I think, you know, I have a real possibility on top of that to actually build something meaningful. And we just, we got lucky that we just, we have a great group that came out of it. Yeah, I'd say so. I mean, I'm sure there's at least one or two stories of something hilarious or not so hilarious happening, but we'll we'll keep that for for another time. <laughs> that yeah, sounds that good. Could be a whole that could be another podcast in itself. Right, right, right. <laughs> That's the Kevin McNeil show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just wanted to echo what everybody said. It's so true. Um, you know, I've seen a lot of other photo groups kind of start up and get torn down or just fall, fall away or whatever. And, um, you know, Adrian did an amazing job, uh, curating the original group. And then when we got to add Aaron, um, that was amazing. And, and it really is a family and that's, that is incredibly important again, right now, uh, in particular. Yeah. I feel like you guys are all going to do like a big group hug. Virtually. <laughs> I would, we would we we're we're doing it already. You just don't know it yet. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's nice. <laughs> I feel warm. That's very nice. We're actually, we're actually all in the same bed. Oh, awesome! Well, you guys, this has been a really fun chat. We covered a lot of grounds, 
and I'm really excited uh, to see the rest of the world be able to get their hands on your new book, Oregon, My Oregon, and uh, just really appreciate you guys taking the time out of your varied schedules with impact on schools and teaching and all kinds of fun variables that happened during COVID. So thank you all so very much for, for coming on to the podcast. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you so much. Yeah, for thanks, Matt. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, Matt. We really appreciate it. It's been great. Awesome. Thanks. Thanks a lot, Matt. Yeah, it's been great. And I'll just just let people know that you can get the Oregon My Oregon book at pretty much any place that that sells books um, online. Or if you can support a local bookstore, that would be uh, really great. Do you have a favorite one? Close to you? Uh, well, Bloomsbury Books is my local bo- bookstore here in Ashland, Oregon. Of course, as Oregonians, uh, Powell's Books is, uh, yeah. is kind of our state bookstore. Yeah, there you go. I used to lo- I love going to Powell's. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Thanks, guys. Well, thanks to the Photo Cascadia team for joining me this week on the show, and congratulations on a stunning book. You can find a link in the show notes to purchase the book from Oregon's favorite book retailer, Powell's. I hope that you're all having a safe and soul-warming Thanksgiving this year. I know that the pandemic is having a huge toll on many photographers. I'm working on a panel discussion where we discuss the importance and difficult realities of mental illness and mental health in our field, and I'm hopeful that when people hear about other people's struggles, it will help them understand that they are not alone in this fight. Stay tuned for that one. It's still early in the phases of planning. My work on this project could not be possible without the generous support of our listeners over on Patreon. So thank you to those who that have supported us on Patreon at patreon.com slash fstop and listen. I want to also take the time to thank the people that we like to call our producers. Their general generous support is really helping keeping me going and keeping the project alive. I've met many of these people and they were super awesome. It would mean the world to me if you could also support the show. Even at $5 a month, you're making a huge impact. I also just enabled annual payment options if you want to save 15% on your patronage. Without further ado, thanks to Gary Randall, David Kingham, Eric Stensland, Jeff Peterson, Charlotte Gibb, Ken Dono, James Bakavoy, Anton Everine, Lori Berenson, William Nurse, Richard Wong, Matthias Joland, Suzanne Mathia, Frank Otto Peterson, Michael Rung, John Whitaker, Jason Clardy, Joshua Wallace, Drew Armstrong, Jim Valencourt, Jennifer King, Andrew Hawkins, Craig Young, Adam Bolliard, Michael Demiola, Chuck Mora, Jacob Buchowski, and Jay Fritz Rumpf. All right, well, that's all for now. Thanks for stopping in, collaborating with us, and listening. I'll see you next week.